Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Hawkeye Episode 4, Partners. Am I right? This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Not much. I wasn't here for the last week's episode, and uh, I did listen back to you and Brad talk about it. Uh, ben, I got to disagree with you, though. Uh, you said I wasn't going to like last week's episode, or no, you said that I probably wouldn't be as high about last week's episode mm-hmm, because it wasn't mm-hmm. as story heavy. It wasn't moving the story forward as much, but I just had so much fun with last week's episode. I think it was, um, for me, it was just, it, it reminded me of like a comic book, like an issue of a comic book in that like, yeah, not much develops in it and it does you know end on a cliffhanger and stuff like that but it just has a whole lot of fun and i like that that's what these marvel tv series are to me they feel more like issues of comic books um i i like i also like how much of like the world building that episode like uh the backstory and build up of echo Mm -hmm. um who's the villain of this series or one of the villains of the series but it's obviously you know there's a complex character there and maybe she won't end up being uh, the villain after all i mean she has her own series coming up so uh but no i i really liked last week's episode so um i feel like this week's episode we have a lot less to discuss but there are some interesting things uh but that's great peter i'm, I'm glad that we've been working together for so long and you can still surprise <laughs> me <laughs> i was like i, I'm, I feel pretty sh- pretty confident about this i love being just completely wrong so that's awesome <laughs> Well, also the action sequence, the car action sequence, mm-hmm. which I know was shown in that Marvel preview that they did on a Disney Plus day or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's so awesome. I don't know. I, I thought that whole sequence was so, a whole lot of fun. I, I think you and Brad touched on all the, the problems of the episode of like this like weird KB toys that's like a big warehouse. And <laughs> yeah. 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 But um, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's. um. Let's, normally we start things off with feedback. We we didn't get that many uh, emails from last week's episode. Someone pointed out that there was like a uh, for a big production. Like these things are you know 
millions and millions of dollars to make uh, that there was like a typo in the background of a subway station in the oh, last week's episode. So I don't know. It happens or maybe it was intentional. You'll never know. Um, <laughs> one thing I do want to bring up that I forgot to bring up uh, a couple weeks back, actually, since this show started, is that this is the first TV series uh, from Marvel uh, that features the credit. Marvel Studios presents a Kevin Feige production, uh, which I, I mean, I think we've seen that in movies, Kevin Feige production. But we've never seen that in the TV realm. What? Why do you think that has now changed with the series? Yeah, it's a good question. Why would that have not been the case for all of these Marvel Studios shows uh, since WandaVision? I, I don't really have a good answer for that. Um, hmm. Do you have any theories about that? I don't know. I mean, it could be a number of things. It could be number one, maybe it's a contractual, like it took a while to get that <laughs> that credit ironed out and also with that credit comes probably some kind of i don't know i mean he's already the produce executive producer it, there's always been this weird thing with the marvel tv shows in that tv shows usually the executive producer is the showrunner the, the person who is creating the show mm -hmm. and uh on these the showrunner really isn't that it's it's kevin feige so it's like this weird gray area of sorts yeah so i think this this sort of reads as like uh right up front i'm just establishing the fact that this is not a traditional tv show that you <laughs> you know like the others that have showrunners like yes there are creators yes there are you know people we've interviewed on the site for all these different shows and stuff like that but these people are not like the the ultimate decision makers like you know, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse were on Lost, for example. It's, it's you know, Kevin Feige. The buck stops with Kevin Feige. And, and I guess the the new credit up at the top of this show is just sort of him just being like, hey, everyone, world, pay attention. This is <laughs> this is my domain, as if we didn't already know. Okay, uh, conspiracy theory hat on here. Does this open the door for there to be Marvel Studios presents, like, TV shows that are not a Kevin Feige production? I mean, I guess they're already doing that with, like, MODOK and... Um, what's that other one? Hit girl. Yes. Uh, or hit monkey. Hit right? monkey. Sorry. Yeah. Um, hit, hit girl from kick ass. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, are those part of the Marvel cinematic universe? No, they they don't have the Marvel studios logo on them. I don't think, I don't think so. Um, but that's an interesting idea. Maybe, maybe this is part of a long game for him to, uh, establish an, a successor or something. Um, and just have, you know, X number of projects be labeled Kevin Feige productions up top. And then all of a sudden, maybe he could start grooming somebody else to be his like, you know, I know he has several right hand people that, that he has been working with for years and years, um, you know, uh, a, a ton of them. And, and like Trin Tran is one of them and she's an executive producer on the show. Um, but yeah, it would be fascinating to see him still in the position that he's at now, this sort of figurehead uh, who every decision runs through him uh, of Marvel Studios, but also to sort of relinquish a little bit of that power to somebody else. Maybe if Marvel continues to ramp up their productions at the scale that they have over the past couple of years, um, then maybe one day he'll need to do that just because there are only so many hours in a day for him to to work on this stuff. Yeah, what are they doing now? They're doing like three TV shows a year, I think, and maybe three movies? 
Is yeah, the, and it might be more with like with yeah. the the way that COVID has sort of uh, forced the schedule to be pushed around a little bit. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, I'm sure people don't <laughs> love that we talked about credits for for five <laughs> minutes. Sorry. Uh, let's let's move into our brief reaction. What, what was your thoughts on episode four, Partners? Am I right? Uh, I didn't like it quite as much as last week's, but um, there were still many scenes that I really enjoyed here. Um, and I mean, I guess we'll go through them as we as we uh, go through our breakdowns. I won't like spoil the moments that I that were my favorite right up top. But um, I thought this was like a, a perfectly pleasant episode of TV. Um, it didn't really, uh, you know, have any. Um, I don't know. It, it didn't feel to me, even with the inclusion of what happens at the very end of the episode and the reveal of that character, it didn't necessarily feel like anything um, super major happened. It sort of felt like uh, the inevitable was kind of happening. In, um, but I'm, I'm actually glad that a lot of this stuff happened here in episode four instead of being held for later in the series because now, or, or the season, because now episodes five and six are uh, much more exciting to me in terms of their possibilities. So, you know, there are a lot of things that happen in this episode that, you know, have to happen over the course of the show. And now that they're quote unquote out of the way, um, I, I'm excited about what, what the rest of the season looks like. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. This episode doesn't really have any huge surprises. I, I mean, I guess it would be a big surprise if we didn't see, you know, a certain Marvel movie that came out last year mm -hmm. that, that kind of teed this up. And also, uh, you know, I mean, if you go to IMDb, you see that she's in this show. So <laughs> it's, it's like if she had just shown up without those two things, it would have been like, oh, shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. but we, we kind of were like waiting this entire season for her to show up. I, I actually am surprised that it took until the end of episode four. But uh, we'll get to that later. But uh, yeah, I, I think this is probably my like maybe my least favorite episode of the season so far. Um, and coming off such a strong episode last uh, week, it's just and also just not having any big surprises. Like there was stuff that like I think were teased last week with like you know my Maya's. Uh, who did they build it up? The character that she, I mean, the one that we think is, we all think is Kingpin. Oh, her, her uncle. Uncle. uncle? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe they would, you know, have some reveal here this week. I'm now wondering, are we even going to get a reveal on that in this, in the season? Ben, do you think they're going to keep that to the echo standalone spinoff series? I think they have to. I mean, I think they they tip their hands so hard in last week's episode that they have to pay that off in some way in this season, whether or not it's just a uh, like a post-credits thing at the very end of the final episode um, remains to be seen. I would love it, though, if now that, uh, you know, some of these other reveals happen in this episode, now the, the uh, I don't know, the playing field has been cleared for uh, <laughs> the introduction of that character in episode five, and then you can sort of deal with more of the the fallout or whatever in episode six. I would love to see that. I'm not, I'm just not sure if the show is willing to, uh, to go there or not. Yeah. I, I, I will say that I am enjoying, uh, with, with the show, I I've really come to enjoy how much, how well those two work off each other. Haley and, um, and uh what, jeremy, what's renner. Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I was like, Clint, no, that's not his name. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. For some reason, I was not expecting it to work as well as it has. So uh, even though this episode was not uh, my favorites, I did enjoy it. Okay, so let's jump into it. Uh, The episode title here is Partners, am I right? Which um, (laughs) I'm I'm not not sure if I'm stupid for delving too much into titles sometimes, Ben, but because like this seems very obvious. But I think on you know on the surface this is about Kate's want to be she wants to be partners with Hawkeye right, mm-hmm. but I think on there's other levels here because uh, there's many partners in the show there's Quint Quint's partner at home helping him from afar which mm-hmm. I'm sure we're gonna get into in this episode there's Quint's former partner who died before his eyes that is haunting him. Uh, there's the unlikely partners of the bunch of LARPers that uh, are becoming supporting characters in the story 100 percent, yeah uh there's the bad guy side of things which we have kazi and echo uh who are interesting partners you know kazi kind of wants to let this whole thing drop and is being convinced by uh clint to do so and echo you know is unwilling to relent there and uh, there's also uh jacques duquesne and eleanor who uh what's going on in that relationship what kind of partnership is that Mm -hmm. um so i I don't know i think that the title is a little bit deeper (laughs) than it might look on the surface um but yeah okay so uh this episode starts with um uh, that whole scene with jock and eleanor interrogating kate and Quint about what's going Actually, on. Actually, Peter, before we get into that, I, I have a oh. quick question for you about um, something that happened in the uh, the previously on. And I guess this is maybe the, a good time to to bring this up. So, did you watch the previously on Hawkeye thing at the I, very beginning of the episode? I watched it twice, okay. but I don't know what you're even, even going to bring up here. <laughs> well, I just thought it was interesting that they, because typically when they do that, um, they highlight moments from. Uh, previous episodes that are um, essential to what is going to happen in this moment. Um, You know, things that are going to pay off, uh, you know, immediately. Um, Some shows have done that differently than others. But for this one, there is that callback to that moment where the detective from the NYPD calls uh, Kate and says, hey, can you come into the office tomorrow? And she says, yeah, or whatever. And then it just moves on into, you know, other flashes of recap and so I was expecting that detective character to make an appearance in this episode and he never does. So I was just curious if you had any idea about like what, like why they included that in the previously on, or if it was just as something as simple as like, maybe she was supposed to show up that day. And then we saw this entire day play out in this episode where she didn't go do that. So it was, it's a sub, you know, almost a, uh, a subconscious reminder of like, oh, Kate was supposed to do something and didn't do it. And maybe there will be consequences down the road. I don't know. I just, I, you know, <laughs> it's just something that, that I flagged. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think it could just be a setup of like the, the, the trick arrows being in the possession of, I don't know. Like that doesn't seem to really be connective with her coming into the police station. Yeah, I don't know, Ben. Okay, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, just wanted to bring it up. So if anybody has any theories or anything, let us know. That's, yeah, I didn't even think about that, to be honest with you. Uh, it, it's funny how sometimes those previously on things like totally spoil the episode. Right. Because you're like, oh, this is what this episode is going to happen in this episode. Okay, anyways, uh, so this interrogation scene, a fun scene. Um, wh- what did you think of this whole sequence? 
I was wondering what you thought about this because I think there was some speculation in the fandom that uh, at the very end of last week's episode, um, Jack puts the sword up to Clint's throat and you, Clint doesn't look at him yet. So I think there was some speculation out there that like, uh-huh. oh, maybe this episode opens with Clint realizing who that is and there being a big reveal because uh, in the comics, I guess Jack is this character named the Swordsman and and he was responsible for training Clint to some degree. So maybe there's going to be, you know, some sort of uh, recognizable um, <laughs> uh, element or something at play there. And that ended up not happening here. So I was just wondering if you had heard those theories and if you were disappointed by that not happening at the beginning of this week's episode. Oh, I definitely heard those theories. I didn't, I don't think I bought those theories at all. They're they're harping so hard on Jacques being the bad guy behind all this. And Mm -hmm. we can get to that a little bit later because there's some reveals in this episode, but uh, I don't know. I took the end of that episode to, I didn't think that was what was going to happen. I just thought they were leaving on a way of like, oh no, this is the bad guy. And he has him at the end of a sword kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, in this episode, uh, he's there at the end of the other end of the table complimenting Hawkeye. And why can Hawkeye never take a compliment? <laughs> I think it's because he's just so damaged as a character. Yeah. He's not like that. You know, he can't do the, the, uh, teeth flashing smile that Captain America could. He doesn't have that sort of like in in front of the world training. He says, you know, like all the work that I've done has been like, it, you know, under the cover of darkness, basically. So he's more of a stealth guy. And I think it, it makes him uncomfortable to be sort of out in public and acknowledged like that. Yeah. And he's like, and maybe there's the part of it that uh, like Natasha, you know, gave the ultimate sacrifice. She's the one that should be thanked. He's not the one that is worthy of any of that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, as he leaves, Eleanor, uh, approaches him and please that Clint, uh, that she can't lose Kate tells him to forget the case and move on. Uh, he tells her that he won't forget the case, but he will make sure that she's safe. Now, I think it's notable here, Ben, that she doesn't tell Clint like, you know, leaving my da- daughter alone or keeping my daughter safe, sh- she tells him to stop working on this case. Yeah, for sure. That to me makes me think that she has some investment in this case. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's been, you know, sort of a long brewing assumption that uh, Eleanor <laughs> is like, you know, some sort of secret villain of this whole thing. Um, maybe serving under Kingpin, if he, indeed he is actually in this show, uh, maybe serving as, yeah, some sort of, um, I don't know, organized crime uh, person. Um, and I, I think the that interaction at the door is is uh, certainly goes a long way toward confirming that because that is not necessarily the reaction that uh, a mother, a, a typical mother would have, you know, somebody who doesn't have ties to this specific case. <laughs> Yeah, and after he leaves, she calls someone, says, can you please call me back? It's urgent. Who do you think she's calling? Yeah, I think the implication is that she's calling Kingpin. Um, that was my, you know, sort of gut reaction there. Uh, I guess they could be trying to do something to to sort of uh, give us a little bit of misdirection, some classic Marvel misdirection if they wanted to. But uh, it seems like the most obvious answer may be the simplest one in this case. Yeah, I mean, she could be calling uh, the Black Widow assassin, Elena. Although, would she be calling her? Or would she be calling uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus's character, uh, Contessa? 
Valentina, whoever. Yeah, that's a good question too. I guess that that is. I guess that's maybe an equally plausible option if you think that Eleanor is the one who is responsible for Yelena being there. Um, is that something that you think is <laughs> is true? I mean, it would make sense. I mean, she has friends in high places, and it seems like that kind of character might have connections to someone like uh defontaine so um i don't know we'll 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 find out i guess um okay so clint talks his wife and she tells him that the the thing runs back to jack duquesne Mm -hmm. Uh, a company that he is overseeing is laundering money for the tracksuit mafia so uh the you know it's ben is looking very much like Jack is at the center of these things. But when, when they make us think that, it makes me think that that's probably not the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she also asked about this Rolex watch, which was also apparently believed to be destroyed in the Avengers campus uh, destruction. Uh, but we know was at the auction and is at the center of this thing. It's what the tracksuit mafia and I guess echo were looking for. Uh, and, uh, his wife is very concerned about it. So, um, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, okay. So Kate is surprised to see her mother dancing and Jack, uh, I don't know. I think this whole scene is there because it's just kind of a setup of like, there's a lot of things that she doesn't know about her mother that I'm guessing she's about to find out. I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's also a little bit of softening Jack as a character because the show seems to have been like on Kate's side in terms of depicting him as like this potentially villainous figure. Um, I think, you know, like you mentioned, you know, people maybe a little bit more savvy TV watchers have have sort of seen through that charade a little bit to some degree. And we don't know, of course, what what is going to happen for sure. But it, it definitely seems like... Um, yeah, like a, a bit of a red herring kind of situation with Jack. And I think this interaction that Jack has with Eleanor in front of Kate is just supposed to be like a really endearing moment. She's like actually sitting there and smiling and, and um, you know, she she seems to... He misquotes her. Forrest Gump and they make fun of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it seems to be just introducing a little bit of that family element that, you know, we've seen uh, so successfully on the Clint side of the equation and and it sort of introduces this idea of like oh Kate maybe if she could um, you know maybe stop uh, like get out of hero mode for a second and and stop uh, with her assumptions maybe there's a a chance for her family to find happiness you know after so much uh, trauma in in the background of of her life as well it's just this really sweet moment of her sitting there and just like actually watching them and genuinely smiling. So I don't know. I mean, I think she still has some doubts about Jack. Um, but I, I think this is supposed to be a moment for Kate and a moment for the audience too. Yeah. Okay. So Clint is back at home, spending home alone. Uh, they're spending his time alone during Christmas season. He's, uh, taping pre-made frozen drink packs to his bruised body. And Kate shows up with some movies uh, they talk about how there's no more trick arrows, which is why getting back the ones that are at, uh, in position at the police station is so important. And uh, she brings up the idea of a boomerang arrow, which Clint quickly dismisses and makes fun of the idea. 
but uh, I'm not sure if you know this, Ben, but in the comic, Boomerang Arrows are a big part of the comic that this is based on. And at one point, um, I forget exactly how it happens, but I think it was like during the chase sequence, uh, uh, one of the tracksuit mafia has like Clint hostage and is trying to make her put down the arrow that she, she has loaded into her bow. And Clint says to, to let it go or basically they, they use the fact that it's a boomerang arrow to their advantage and mm. take out uh, the, one of the tracksuit mafia guys. So um, I'm wondering so if you that's, think that's just a, a nod here and we're not actually <laughs> going to see that in action in the show. Probably. I don't know. It seems like such a good idea, but also Clint makes some good points. What, what is the point of a boomerang arrow? <laughs> I don't know. He tells Jack Duquesne, or he tells her that Jack Duquesne is the CEO of this company that's laundering money for the tracksuits. Um, we have this night, nice scene of them discussing strategy as they decorate the Christmas tree and they're listening to Christmas music. And Clint teaches her how to snap a coin across the room, which I'm sure won't come back uh, in episode five or six <laughs> to, uh, take out something. Right. Uh, uh, she turns on, uh, she turns on the TV with, with the coin and it's playing, it's a wonderful life. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, Ben, what, what do you think? Because nothing is a coincidence and I don't think this is just flavor of it being Christmas time. What do you, why do you think it's a, a wonderful life was chosen by the showrunners here? Well, I think, you know, he, he's talking about um, like losing Natasha in that moment, right? Like while that scene is playing out and it's sort of the the worst moment of uh, Clint's life um, juxtaposed with the best moment of George Bailey's life, the character played by uh, Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life, where he, you know, he he gets his life back basically after having been, you know, given this vision of of what the world would be like without him. And it's him reuniting with his family and it's, you know, Zuzu's petals and all the, the yeah. sort of like uh, warm, you know, fuzzy kind of thing that, that you would uh, expect from the end of a, a beloved uh, movie like that. It's also George reuniting with his kids and Clint is not able to be with his kids because he's been sucked into this you know little adventure right now. It's clearly like where Clint would most want to be in the world is with his own family, but he's not able to do that because, you know, he and Kate both have this thing inside them where they just can't give up and they can't, they can't walk away from a problem without it being addressed uh, properly. So they have to try and it's, it's yeah, sort of a little bit of a heartbreaking moment there. Cause it's sort of like, it's, it's almost like the TV is mocking him in a way. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Kate figures out that he was the Ronin. Uh, she, it's very easy to put two and two together there. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she goes to bed, he takes off his hearing aid and the dead silence fills his brain with flashbacks of his family, Natasha, that, all this, all this imagery, like the him as Ronan killing people, all the stuff that's haunting him at night um, that he's gonna have to reckon with. So, um, Quint sends Kate to uh, to go find these LARPers to hopefully retrieve the trick arrows that he needs, uh, and they agree to help out in exchange for something. But by the way, did you expect that the LARPers would show back up in the series? Yeah, especially. Um... Oh, man, I can't remember the what the the character's name was that that uh, Clint had that fight with, and the grills. I think it was the second. Yes, grills. Yeah, I, I was like a hundred percent. At least grills is coming back into the show because Clint is going to need him in some way because they spent so much time 
on that early on in the in the series that I was like, this character has to come back. Um, I did not expect the the full extent to which these, you know, not just the him, but like several other people in this LARPing community would be uh, sort of roped into this adventure as well. Yeah. Well, in, in the comic books that, you know, there's no LARPers, it's, it's more of like a, it's even smaller story than it is in this, this season. And it's more about Clint, uh, who doesn't have a family and it's his neighbor. So grills is the guy he's named grills because he grills uh barbecue on this, on the roof mm-hmm. or like the other neighbors. And so the guy in, in the end uh, you know, the tracksuits are kind of like uh, terrorizing this building. And in the end, the, the Quint and his neighbors have to come together to kind of go against the tracksuits. Do you think something similar is going to happen here with not only, I mean, obviously here we're seeing, them potentially getting new costumes from the LARPers. But do you think that like now, you know, the tracksuits are a lot of bros. Right. <laughs> do you think they're going to have the help of the LARPers against the tracksuits? Um, I mean, there's a part of me that thinks that it would be kind of <laughs> funny because they both seem like, uh, you know, relatively ill-equipped to, <laughs> to deal with any sort of like serious fight. And they're almost just like, uh, a bunch of red shirts. I mean, I guess no pun intended there yeah. because the, the tracksuit mafia off, often wears red, but um, you know, they just seem like bodies on a battlefield kind of thing. And I could definitely see if the show wanted to sort of uh, amp up the stakes and like make something, you know, make a sort of like cinematic uh, face off between the two <laughs> sides or something. They could definitely do that. I don't know if this show is, is that show that I'm describing. It seems much more low key than that, but um yeah, I guess, I can't deny the idea of uh, of the tracksuits facing off against these LARPers. That would probably be pretty entertaining yeah. for a lot of people. Ben, I imagine a recreation of that scene from Gangs of New York, that epic, like, <laughs> you know, battle of them both coming from two different uh, sides. No, maybe not. Yeah, Kingpin as uh, <laughs> Bill the Butcher. Yes. Okay, so Hawkeye shows up in the backseat of Maya's number two and tries to convince him to convince her to stop. Uh, she's chasing a ghost, and you know it, he says. Uh, this is his final warning. And uh, they make a uh, – so after that, they make a deal for the arrows that involve new costumes for them and also Kate and Quint. Uh I do want to mention here that there is some ties to the comics here as well. So the woman who steals the arrows from the evidence that the cop, uh, her name is Wendy Conrad. And in the comic books, Wendy Conrad, uh, Conrad is a character known as bombshell. And she's an assassin for hire who was at one point hired to take down Hawkeye. And she's, Hmm. yeah, she's, um, uh, hired to, cut off Hawkeye's arms so that he won't be able to use them, use his bow and arrow anymore. She fails. Uh, so I'm not sure that this is any relation to the, the character from the comics. It's just maybe just a wink and a nod to the, to the name, but I wanted to bring that up. And also uh, she mentioned that she has a wife and that makes her what, like character number four in the Marvel cinematic universe that is explicitly gay. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. I guess to Marvel's credit, I just didn't even flag that as being outside of the realm of, uh, of yeah. what they do anymore. So I guess they're we're getting used to that, which is good news. I mean, maybe I, I, I guess I guess other people very well could have flagged that. I just it it uh, yeah. went right over my head. No, I, I, I like that it's not like a big thing. It's just mentions the wife in passing. Um, 
Okay, so Clint gets a text from his wife telling him the Rolex wasn't destroyed in Avengers Compound and that it is still trans, uh, transmitting a signal, and she gives him the address. The address is... Well, actually, before we get to that, I wanted to bring up this theory that's going around online, Ben. I wanted to hear what you think of it. So in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the the fact that Hawkeye has a wife and kids is kind of played as a surprise in Age of Ultron. Like we didn't know about them. And it's like the uh, a wife and kids that are completely outside of the business. They're normal people. They, you know, she's not a superhero. You know, th- this is his normal life mm-hmm. is what it is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But in the comics, Clinton is married to this person named Bobby Morse, who is uh, known as Mockingbird. And uh, it – I'm trying to think of how to – but it, they even had uh, – this character had a – she was an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and she had an ABC spinoff show called uh, Mockingbird. Uh, she was played by uh, Adrian Policki. The the actress from Friday Night Lights and a bunch of other stuff. Um, Anyways, um, very forgettable. Because Adrian Palicki was also going to be playing Wonder Woman on a show for NBC that like she shot a pilot for and it ended up not getting picked up. So she's like all over superhero world. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. But I bring this up, Ben, because here it seems like, number one, his wife appears to know a lot about like, you know, why would she know about this watch and how would she be able to track like, you know, who, uh, this whole, like she investigates this whole thing comes to the fact that Jack Duquesne's the head of this company that is laundering money for the track suits. And then also she's talking to him on the phone and she just randomly changes, you know, switches in a second to talking German language, which I'm not saying that you need to be a spy or superhero to be able to do that. But it does seem like something a spy would do, right? Like to you don't want your kids to understand what you're talking about, so you switch. To, so I, right. I guess what I'm what I'm proposing here is that Laura Burden might be Mockingbird, and maybe this watch might have something to do with her. Um, I guess so. I what do you think this watch is? I can't figure it out. I, I don't know that we've been given <laughs> enough information yet to to make even a good guess at this. But do you have any theories about like, I'm, we might be stepping on some speculation or another part of the show? But do you have any ideas about what this could be? I don't know. I guess the question is, who is after this watch? Because we know that uh, the track suits have gotten it right. So, yeah, and you would assume that they're doing that at someone's behest, right? So, like, is it, oh, is that is Maya? it Kingpin or is it, uh, yeah, is it Maya? Like, does she think that it belonged to? If it's Maya, then maybe she was trying to get the watch because she knows that that's going to connect Ronin with who who Ronin's identity is. Or I don't know. I, I don't, uh, that's my thought is maybe where it's actually going. I know probably there's a lot of speculation out there that it's going to be something much bigger. Or, you know, I've seen theories out there like, this is one of the Iron Man tech watches that, you know, can turn into, into a nano suit of iron tech and that this is all going to feed into armor wars and going to be this big, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, they're kind of treating it like that. The show seems to be like giving this watch an awful lot of importance. And it, if it is just a simple watch, 
Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think the idea that it that Maya could be looking for it to tie Clint to the Ronin identity is fascinating to me. That's maybe like my favorite theory that I've heard so far. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about exactly what what they're going to do with that thing because it it is definitely serving as like a uh, a pure MacGuffin mode right now. You know. To me, that makes the most sense, but I got to ask you, Ben, if that ends up being it, do you, I think that will disappoint a lot of people. Do you think that will disappoint a lot of people? Uh, I think, of course, yeah, people will be disappointed because, you know, once a theory like that gets out there where people are expecting, you know, a, a, an Iron Man suit to be, to work its way into this show, um, then yeah, some people are going to be disappointed in the same way that like they were upset that Mephisto didn't show up in, in WandaVision. So uh, they're always going to run that risk, um, you know, playing these games with these shows where they sort of like string the audience along a little bit, but it's, you know, I wouldn't call this like a mystery show in the same way that WandaVision was like a, a puzzle box kind of show, but it is something that, you know, keeps fans talking week after week. So I, I don't begrudge them, uh, you know, uh, using a, a story element like this to sort of keep people interested and, and wondering and engaged as the story plays out. I just hope that it's, uh, that it's worth it. And I, I think the definition of worth it will be different for a lot of people. For me, as long as it ties into the characters and, and makes it feel emotionally relevant to what's going on in the story, I'll be totally cool with it. I think some people will probably be maybe a little disappointed if, if there's not some flash associated with it, you know, big CG, big, whatever, um, you know, giant MCU implications kind of thing. Um, I, I don't really care as much about that personally, but, um, but yeah, this is one of those things that I think uh, is going to define a lot of the ways that people feel about this show is like what happens with this watch. Yeah. Okay. So the address is for this apartment and Kate makes easy work, talking her way into the building, picking the lock, getting into this apartment and uh, when she's in this apartment, there's like these like strobing lights on the corners of the room, which I'm not sure if you have this, Ben. I have like um, uh, a security system in my condo. And if I, if I walk into my like living room or certain rooms at night, there's like this like almost like a quick flash. I, I think it sets off like the motion detector or something mm, okay. or whatever. So I thought it was just that at first, but it, I guess it, it is revealed that it is a visual cue for an emergency for someone who's deaf, which is actually kind of cool. I didn't even think that that was something that was that exists, but that completely makes sense. Yeah. It seems like, um, Stephen Lang's character from, uh, from don't breathe maybe could have used the, the equivalent of somebody <laughs> something like that for somebody who's blind since that movie is all about people breaking into his house um did you notice peter when when uh kate first walks into uh maya's apartment that the camera sort of lingers on this piece of wall art that is right next to the door and it seems to have a couple of boomerangs on it or boomerang boomerang shaped objects i'm not sure exactly what the intention was there uh, but they mentioned the boomerang arrows earlier in the episode and I didn't know if that was just a visual callback or if that's also <laughs> sort of adding up to, you know, uh, something where the boomerang arrow actually does come back in later. I didn't know if you noticed that little piece of art. I did not notice that. Um, but uh, at this point, he's having this conversation with Kate about this Rolex that they're, that she's in there to break, uh, to break in and get this Rolex. And he says that it belongs to someone he used to work with and who has been out of the game for some time it could blow their cover the cover of his of their friend 
So he, he, he uses all these, he doesn't use any pronouns. So we don't know if it's a he or she, uh, what do you make of this Ben? Yeah. I mean, I kind of think that if it was his watch and if it tied to the Ronan thing, Kate already knows that he's Ronan at that point. Cause they've already had that conversation. So they just think that it's the two of them, you know, having this conversation, there would be no real reason for Clint to lie to her at that point. So I think if it was his or if it linked to his um, identity as Ronan or something, he would say, he would just say, it's mine. It's important that we, we find this for whatever the reason is, you know, but the fact that he's so, what if it's, what if it's linking to Mockingbird? Ooh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, Out of the game for a while, I guess could be his wife. And then, uh, that could be why she is specifically interested in, in finding it. Although, yeah, the idea that like, you know, their kids are relatively old, right? Like they're teenagers. Um, so she would have been have, she would have had to have been out of the game for a long, long time. Yeah. And then like, what is that, what is that relationship like with, you know, cause we've seen and, and heard so much about the relationship between Clint and Natasha, right? Like the, this, all these missions that they've gone on and everything. And there's never really been an allusion to a third member of a, you know, a triumvirate there. So how, how did that happen? How, you know, what, Mm. what is the dynamic like there? Because they like Natasha clearly knows Laura when they show up um, in age of Ultron and Natasha is the only character that actually has a a pre-existing relationship with Clint's family. Um, So I'm, yeah, I mean, that very well could be the case. I'm just curious. I wonder if there is, room for them to uh explore all of that and then like answer some of those questions in a satisfying fashion again uh the the whole mockingbird thing could be complete fan theory this doesn't need to actually end up panning out but uh i don't know it it seems to add up to me that like what she especially what we see in this episode from laura but okay so kate sees a notebook with Clint's family's information written all over it. And uh, Clint realizes in this moment that this isn't just any apartment. This isn't like a tracksuit mafia apartment. This is actually Maya's apartment. Mm -hmm. And uh, these two fights break out, one with Clint uh, on the roof and the other with Maya and Kate in the apartment. Kate escapes using a zip line over the street. Maya follows. And what we get here is kind of like a, Two on two fight, but uh, you know, two of them are not working with each other, just against the other two. Uh, what did you think of this fight sequence? Um, I kind of wish that we had seen uh, Yelena's identity a little bit earlier, because like you kind of know that it's her. Like the the way that the um, the action is is staged, it just seems like a Black Widow, you yeah. know, a member of the Black Widow assassin force or squad or whatever they're called. Um, I, I think it's clear that that's what's going on there. Um, I, I don't know how much of that is just like, okay, let's make this as easy as possible for Florence Pugh to, to not have to learn all this choreography. We can just hide this person's identity with a, you know, with a stunt performer uh, for as much of the scene as possible. Um, but, you know, once, once she uses the, uh, those like red, yeah. I don't remember what they're, what they're called, but like those electronic uh, or electricity uh, 
little devices. It's it's like super clear who it is. And then there's still, it feels like a couple minutes before, um, you know, the, the mask comes off there. So I think, you know, it's, it, it was staged well and, and uh, you know, it's decent, I guess, decent MCU action, nothing super uh, jaw dropping in terms of like choreography or anything. It's just like effective, sturdy, gets the job done kind of thing. What'd you think about it? Um, yeah, it, I don't know. I, I think I'm kind of over like these night action scenes. It's hard for me to see what's going yeah. on. I, I think that's another thing I liked so much about last week's episode. It had a lot of action during the daytime. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't I don't know. Uh, yeah. So uh, it was fine. I, I have the same criticisms. It would have been cool to have that reveal before the end of the action scene sequence. Uh, and by that reveal, we mean at the end of the action scene, the mask woman is revealed to be Yelena, uh, the black widow assassin that, uh, you know, we saw in the movie black widow. And at the end of that movie is kind of tasked to go after Quint because Quint is supposedly responsible for the death of, uh, her sister. So, mm-hmm. uh, so anyways, uh, Quint tells Kate to go home. It's over. And that is the end of this episode. Uh, before we go into speculation, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. The one moment that I liked a lot in that, um, in that fight sequence was when Yelena throws, she hooks uh, Kate to some sort of uh, wire and then throws her over the building and Clint runs over the edge and is leaning over with his hand outstretched. And it's very clearly, I think meant to be a visual callback to what happened with Natasha and on what was it Vormir? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That? Um, so just the fact that uh, that Kate is like suspended in the air. Um, I think I, th- underlines- I, I think they even played like some of the same music. There was like a similar like oh did they like, okay yeah, yeah yeah I missed that but yeah like the the um you know the the fact that he tells her to to leave at the end like this is over I'm doing this myself I think was triggered by that moment more than anything else just like leaning over the edge of a, of a precipice and seeing this girl that, um, you know, partners, am I right? Like the, this person that, that he is, uh, he's been annoyed by at times, but has come to view as, um, you know, an equal when it comes to archery and, and certainly, um, you know, somebody who is effective at getting the job done alongside him, seeing the danger that, um, that she fell into and the fact that she easily could have died right there, I think is the, the switch that gets flipped in his head where he's like, okay, I can't, I can't have you do this. And I, I don't know how much of that is just his own, um, you know, I can't lose two partners in one lifetime kind of view. How much of it is like him actually trying to honor the promise that he made to Eleanor earlier in this episode. Um, but, uh, or, or well, any well, other. Well, it's also interesting because she not only represents uh, the the lost partner of his, but she also represents like the kids that he lost yes. for years. So it's yeah. like a twofer. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get into speculation. Uh, this Rolex, so we've talked a bunch about it. Uh, why does it transmit information, uh, Ben? Like, w- w- like, what do you think? What do you think this Rolex is? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like because it has a transmitter on it. That's I think where a lot of people may be coming to. Like, oh, it has to be Stark technology. It has to be whatever because like normal Rolexes don't do that. So yeah. um, I don't know. I still don't know, Peter. I wish I had like even a hint at like you know, some crazy theory or something that I could come up with, but I'm still so in the dark in this watch thing that I, I cannot uh, connect those dots. Yeah. I'm not sure how that connects to anything. Okay. Uh, who hired 
uh, Black Widow? Do you think it's Kate's mom? Do you think it's Jock? Do you think Kingpin? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think the show certainly wants us to think it's one of those three. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just, or I guess my well, I think the show makes Maya? it makes it think. Wait, who do you think the show makes us want to think it is? Because I think we're a little ahead of the show in where it wants us to be at this point. I think. Um, I think because of the phone call that Eleanor made early on in the episode that that there is enough of a line there where maybe the show wants us to think that Eleanor is the one who who sort of uh, put that ball into motion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like there, these Marvel shows have have done this in the past where I feel like they've they've sort of like hinted one way and then like tried to swerve a little bit the next way to sort of keep people on their toes a little bit. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's somebody else, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, what, what is the, I guess like aside from, you know, who ordered the, the hit or whatever, what, what is, what do you think the, um, outcome of that confrontation is going to be? Because Yelena basically just like dives off the roof at the end. Right. And seems to leave Clint alone. If she's truly in like full on assassin mode, she could have just killed him easily, but I think she she has a lot of questions for him, right? So, like, do you think that uh, Clint is going to tell her the truth about what happened with Natasha? And and do you think that she's going to believe him, I guess, is the other question. That is a very good question. I mean, I think she has to, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, like, wh- where does this show end off with the relationship between Yelena and Clint? Like, does Clint make it out of this series alive? He has to, right? Mm. Because this they've they've put so much groundwork into him being home for Christmas and all of that. Like the this show, there's no way that this show would end during the holiday season w- with a holiday setting and have it be you know a tragic ending where this character lays down his life in order to save Kate or something like that, right? Um, and, and not actually make it home for Christmas. Do you don't think they would be that, that would be like a, no. a really big deal. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're like that story that he tells Kate at one point about how, uh, the one that, uh, what did he call it? The one that got away, not the one that got away, but the one that he didn't do or didn't oh, right. hire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think he has to tell Elena about that because I mean, he's, uh, not not only did he not kill her, but he's responsible for you know not killing her twice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how you settle that. And I, I also don't know where Elena fits into the mix after that. Whatever gets settled, gets settled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Jack Duquesne. This whole time we've been under the assumption that he's. Uh, not evil at all. It's always been the mother. The mother's behind everything. But in this episode, we do learn that he's CEO of this business that is laundering money for the tracksuit mafia. Doesn't confirm that he's the evil villain of this show, but that does get his hands dirty, right? I think so. I Part of me was wondering if Jack even knew that he was, that he held that CEO position that could easily be something that Eleanor could have, you know, just yeah. put on a, on a contract somewhere or, or on paper somewhere. Um, but when Clint calls uh, Laura early in the episode and says, you know, it, it, Sloan is their front. Um, 
Laura says that whatever source she was talking with specifically said that the source's boss, Jack Duquesne, never gives him a day off. So like the fact that this, you know, that, that makes it seem like Jack actually is involved in the day-to-day or like at least the, the operation in some way of uh, Sloan Limited. So, But maybe um, he doesn't know about the money laundering operation. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is definitely possible. Maybe he is in charge. I don't know. It, it, I'm really curious. What does Eleanor... You know this this episode about you know the title about partnerships. You know what is the partnership there? Like, is it what we were led to believe originally, where it it, it is actually a relationship, or is is there a ulterior motive from Eleanor in this relationship with with Jack? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because I'm thinking now back to like the, I think it was the first episode where he's having that conversation with, I don't remember if it's Armand or or somebody else, but he he sort of like intimates that like he needs money, right? And like he he's going to have money soon once he marries into this family. Um, so all of that was just typical, you know, like slimy dirtbag kind of uh, behavior and, and certainly like going toward supporting Kate's theory that this guy is a villain. I wonder if there's going to be some sort of recontextualization for what that could mean. Um, or if that actually is, maybe he's just not like a full bad guy, but he's kind of a bad guy, you know, uh, to, to use a Wreck-It Ralph um, <laughs> quote. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Um, it, it, who do you, who, uh, I'm trying, trying to think if there's any other speculation that we haven't touched upon. A lot of the stuff that I have on my list is stuff that we've talked about in this episode. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's all my questions. That is all the questions I have from this episode. Um, we, we only have, what, two more episodes of the season? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's crazy. This is such a short season, but uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, what, what, what are you thinking of this, of this series so far? It feels a little fluffy to me at times. Um, it also feels at, at certain moments like it could be tightened up a little bit. I would love them to, to uh, you know, really start release, get confident enough in their storytelling where they can just start releasing this thing, these Marvel shows on like a, um, uh, you know, almost like what the net, what Netflix did with uh, the OA. I remember you writing about that, you know, several years ago now, but just like the, um, the possibilities yeah. that are out there with, streaming you don't have to conform to certain run times you can just tell the amount of story that needs to be told for that particular episode um and sometimes it feels like these all of these disney plus marvel shows have have sort of felt like they're spinning their wheels a little bit um and i would just i think i would appreciate a lot of these um these shows a little bit more if they were slightly tighter in certain spots but um yeah I, I agree with you there. The the one thing I have been look, looking forward to, I, I think they'll eventually do this. I don't know about them ever doing, like I don't have any inside info or anything like that, but I would love to see them do a Disney plus show where we think it's like six episodes or something like that. And then at the end of the six episode, it is not concluded. And it's like next week, the Disney plus original movie you know, Hawkeye and, you know, like, like yeah. do that, like I, that would be so epic if they could. And they have, that's so easy for them to do. Like, yeah. uh, in terms of the, the distribution system, I would love it if, if something like that happened, if they could just keep it a secret, that would be really, really cool. Um, the yeah. one other thing that I wanted to say that I didn't mention earlier, Peter, is like the other scene in this episode that I really liked a lot is the scene 
uh, near the beginning where Kate comes back to the house and brings pizza and they do the whole um, Christmas uh, sweater and movie and lights <laughs> and bonding and all of that stuff. I, I, you know, sometimes I feel like I come off uh, on this podcast, like I don't really care about these shows all that much, but moments like that in, in a show like this are go a long way toward endearing me to these characters. And I think, you know, you mentioned that at the top of this episode that you thought that their dynamic was working out really well. Um, and I think this, that sequence is a really great example of that. Yeah. I honestly didn't think I was going to care at all about Jeremy Renner's character in this series. Like, he's the doing fr- good work. Yeah, no, it, it's a very, very. He's doing a very either him. No, I, I guess it is him. But like the writing is also very using him to his uh, his, his advantages. He's uh, like very making him endearing in in ways that like I feel like the the Marvel movies did not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Anyways, uh, if you have any ideas, speculation, uh, thoughts that you want us to read, possibly on air, you can send them to peter at slashroom.com and please leave your name and general geographic location in case, in case we mention them on the air. Uh, you can find more of all of our work at slashroom.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts, write a you know, five star review, write like a sentence saying why you like this show. Uh, we've, we've been getting a lot of those like Spotify things where people are sending us how many minutes they listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Some people listen to the show for like, I forget how many hours someone, it was like an insane amount the other day. I like, I, I like added it up. It was like a amount of oh, minutes, yeah, like 300 hours or something. 300 right? hours. That's insane. So uh, th- thanks for hanging out with us. Um, we-, we all appreciate it. Uh, please spread the word, tell your friends, and we'll see you tomorrow.